News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. Well, it's a very different scene in Ottawa this morning than what the city has seen the last few weeks. Now, police there cracked down on the protesters that have been occupying the capital for 24 days, arresting almost 200 people, towing away about 80 vehicles. Also this morning, MPs resume debate on the Emergencies Act. Now, for more on all of this, we're joined by Global's Chief Political Correspondent, David Aiken. Good morning, David. Good morning, Sim. Yeah, very quiet day in the Capitol, relatively speaking, but it's still a capital in lockdown. There's uh, still, I would say, you know, uh, 10 square kilometers. Think about that. 10 square kilometers of the Capitol, most of the downtown core, uh, is in a red zone. You can't be in this zone unless you work here or you live here. Um, I had to present credentials, my credentials, four, through four police checkpoints to get to our Parliamentary Hill Bureau this morning. That's the way it's going to be for a little while because, of course, the key for the police is, uh, you know, they, they took the ground on Saturday and they don't want to give it up. So they have got, there's fencing, there's a two meter high fencing um, for several blo- blocks around Parliament Hill. And then there's checkpoints all the way, uh, as they say, through the downtown core. Right. Okay. And I know they had more, more than 100 people arrested and charged. And a lot of people, including the organizers, uh, already made appearances in court. Right. So, so the data on that, this is from the police as of, uh, sort of yesterday after, late yesterday afternoon. As, as you said, more than 200 arrests. Um, some of those people were charged. Some were not. Uh, more than 200 arrests. 330 charges laid against 107 different individuals. So 107 people, um, were charged with a variety of criminal offenses. Of those, most, about 90, were released with a promise to appear later in court. But we still got, what, uh, almost 20 people still in jail. Um, it's uh, it's a holiday here in Ontario, as it is in B.C. Um, so the court is not going to sit today. So those people are going to stay in jail at, at the very least until tomorrow. Um, and that includes some of the organizers of the uh, of this, uh, this this whole occupation. One of them, Tamara Leach of Lethbridge, Alberta, she did have a bail hearing on Saturday. She wanted to get out on $5,000 bail. Um, the judge heard a variety of uh, testimony from, among others, her husband, who said they got here to Ottawa, or he got here in Ottawa, um, because somebody lent him the private jet. What? And the judge said, well, well, who lent you the private jet? And the husband of Tamara Leach said, I don't know, some nice guy named Joseph. So the, the judge, I don't think, found some of the testimony <laughs> tremendously credible or there was some, some details lacking. Anyway, Tamara Leach remains in jail. Uh, the judge has reserved decision. And the council, the Crown Council, doesn't want Leach to get bail. These people are facing mischief charges, by and large, almost all of them. Some obstruct police, etc. And the sanctions, if you get convicted of criminal mischief... Um, it can be very serious. It's all context dependent. So if the mischief you engaged in, say, shut down the national capital for three weeks and, uh, you know, cause millions of dollars a day in additional costs for policing, um, you know, you, you could face some serious sanctions. A judge could, if you're convicted, you know, goes up to 10 years, even life in prison for mischief. Um, or you could pay a fine. Uh, so we will see uh, very serious charges that some of these organizers are facing. They'll be in court uh, tomorrow. And in the meantime, even though it's a holiday, the police are now encouraging businesses to reopen. A lot of them in the downtown core have been closed for three weeks, including, uh, uh, I think I mentioned this, uh, Simi, when we mm-hmm. chatted over the last few days, one of the big malls in the country, the Rideau Center, sixth largest mall in the country, employs 1,500 people. It's been shut for three weeks. It's going to reopen today. So the city now much more in recovery mode, 
but still locked down in the city's central core. Right, but the MPs are back to work, it sounds like, or the House of Commons is back to work. Actually, they've been working hard all weekend, believe it or not. They have been debating whether or not it was appropriate to invoke the Emergencies Act um, on Saturday, on Sunday, and again today from 7 a.m. in the morning, local time. So, we're, you know, they're, they're, they're already working. They've been debating and yakking for an hour. They did that on Saturday, they did that on Sunday, and they went to midnight. So uh, they, they really do want to get on the record. I think every MP, has, has I, I can tell you, I've talked to them, they're hearing from their constituents either for or against this idea of the Emergency Act, and they want to put that on the record. There will be a vote tonight. Uh, it's a crucial vote. Uh, probably happens somewhere between 7.30 and 8 o'clock Eastern time. It's a simple majority. Conservatives in the bloc are going to vote against it. They say, you didn't need the Emergencies Act to clear these blockades. Blockades were cleared in Coots. Blockades were cleared in Windsor without them. We, we, you know, obviously been watching what's been happening in the Pacific Highway in Surrey, that crossing. Mm-hmm. Again, blockades seem to be cleared without the Emergencies Act. So you didn't need it, the, blo- the conservatives and, and, uh, Blocker saying liberals in the NDP are arguing it was crucial, particularly the, the the power about freezing bank accounts. That seems to have got the attention of a lot of people. It's controversial. Seventy six bank accounts were frozen with three point two million dollars. And police here in Ottawa say the powers they had under that Emergencies Act were useful. And that may have been one of them. OK, so there's more to come on that. I understand. Right. Because there's been some question about who exactly had their bank accounts frozen is that all part of the debate do you think from mps it it, it is so yesterday uh on uh, the west block uh, with mercedes stevenson our, our colleague uh she had on uh, the public uh, the emergency preparedness minister bill blair who said when mercedes asked about well whose bank accounts you're freezing and he said if if you were a donor if you gave 25 bucks or 50 bucks here this is Bill Blair talking. Said law enforcement is not interested in that right. person. Law enforcement is not going after those those donors. Um, they're going after really where you donated to. If it was to a Freedom Convoy account or to one of the organizers, those are the people. This is what Bill Blair is saying. Whose accounts are frozen? Now that said, Mark Strahl, the MP from Chilliwack, he got up or he on Twitter. He said he was contacted by a single mom right. who donated twenty five bucks. And that's it. That's all she did and has had her account frozen. We've asked uh, Mark Strahl if he could connect us with this individual. Obviously, a lot of reporters would yeah. like to hear this person's story. Hasn't done so yet, but he's put that on the record that there's a donor that he knows who had an account frozen. But we, again, we can't verify that. That is uh, a conservative MP, of course, Mark Strahl from uh, Chilliwack, who opposes the Emergency Act. So uh, this is part of the debate, absolutely. And I think the 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 whole financial aspect the fin- follow the follow the money uh, part of the debate um, I think that is going to survive whether the Emergencies Act fails or not uh, because the Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister has said that she thinks that this has highlighted some gaps in our ability to um, look at foreign fu- foreign funding of illegal activities all sorts of things we may see some more permanent measures for how we track. Uh, finances that may be funding illegal activity in Canada. Right. All right, David, thank you so much for the update. Sure. Thanks, Amy. Cheers. That's David Aiken, our Global National Chief Political Correspondent. There's a lot going on in Ottawa today. As you heard there, we'll continue to keep you updated. This is Mornings with Simi. More fear this morning amid some new signs that there are perhaps some skirmishes and incursions happening between Russia and Ukraine. And there are more efforts being made to try to get 
you know, Russia to sit down with the United States anyway and try to try to prevent something from happening there. For more on this, we're joined by Reggie Giacchini, our Global News Washington correspondent. Good morning, Reggie. Good morning. So what is the latest on this? What is going on? Uh, well, look, there's a lot of angles to look at with what's going on. The most immediate uh, that we can talk about is that uh, Vladimir Putin has convened a session of his National Security Council in Moscow. Uh, and what we have heard over the last, uh, I would say, 30 minutes is that there has been a push here for Russia to recognize the breakaway regions uh, in Ukraine uh, that are uh, kind of filled with Russian-backed separatists. Uh, that could potentially be uh, a red line here. Uh, this goes on top of what you just mentioned, these kind of ongoing skirmishes that we're seeing in these separatist regions that are being blamed on Ukrainian aggression, but for the most part uh, believed by the West, believed by NATO, believed by the Ukrainian government to be all uh, um, instances of Russian-backed rebels actually firing shells. It does sound, though, Reggie, like tensions are ramping up even more. Like yesterday, we thought, like yesterday, I should say, last week, we thought, you know, there was a bit of a step back, but that doesn't appear to be the case because now other countries are now telling their citizens to leave Ukraine. Yeah, and this is something that we've been seeing uh, over the weekend. Uh, we saw uh, Israel telling its residents to leave. We've seen more European nations telling its residents to leave. We've seen Southeastern Asian uh, nations telling their residents to leave. So obviously there is a uh, concern that is spreading globally about the crisis on Ukraine's border. That was obviously fed into a little bit over the weekend when we heard from the Belarusian government that they were going to allow for Russian troops to remain in their territory on a sort of indefinite basis when they were originally supposed to wrap up uh, military exercises at the end end of the Olympics. So this really has kind of put pressure uh, on the world to try to figure out, uh, figure this out. But ultimately, what we're seeing are two steps forward towards war, and then one step back as there are these kind of uh, diplomatic last minute efforts to try to get Russia, as you said, to step away from the ledge. Okay, and what is the situation in terms of like diplomatic negotiations? I understand France was making efforts to try to get the United States and Russia to sit down. Yeah, right, uh, France really has been kind of the the, the go-between for a lot of these conversations. Uh, French President Macron holding a conversation with the Ukrainian leader along with the Russian leader over the weekend, really pushing for a summit between Moscow and Washington. We're hearing that that could take place on the condition that Russia does not invade uh, Ukraine. We know that the foreign ministers of the United States and of Russia are also going to be sitting down sometime in the next couple of days, again, on the pretext that there is no uh, incursion. There are also conversations uh, that uh, should be taking place between Germany uh, and Russia. This is kind of that last minute flurry of shuttle diplomacy. But really, up until now, we haven't seen any kind of breakthrough in those diplomatic efforts. That said, as we're hearing from most governments, the, diplomati uh, the, the, the diplomatic efforts will continue until the first tanks roll in. And is that actually happening? Because it's so hard to find out. You know, we hear about shelling, we hear about incursions, and every side argues that it's the other side. How will we ever know what's really going on? Well, look, the United States and the UK have been really transparent with the intelligence that they're putting, have uh, been putting forward. And this is far different from any kind of instance that we've seen uh, in the past. So we're able to kind of see Russia's moves in real time. And it's keeping Vladimir Putin one step ahead of where he ultimately wanted to be. Russia is coming back saying, look, the intelligence is faulty. You can't trust anything, but it's satellite imagery overhead that really is showing this, uh, this buildup in military posture that Russia is moving towards, uh, the Ukrainian border. What's also interesting about this, though, Simi, is that this is becoming a, uh, a social media war uh, as well. We're seeing TikTok really become a platform to show the movement of troops in and around Ukraine and in and around uh, the Russia-Ukraine border. So it really is hard to push back on the uh, visuals that you're seeing because they are coming out uh, in real time. There's also metadata behind a lot of the videos that the Russian government and Russian-backed rebels are putting out that shows a lot of what they're showing is not actually from the immediate moment. That is so interesting. All right, Reggie, thank you for the update. Hey.
Thanks. Reggie Cicchini, our Global News Washington correspondent. Things getting even more tense between Russia and Ukraine. You had Germany and Austria telling their citizens to leave Ukraine. You've got German air carrier Lufthansa cancelling all flights to the capital there, Kiev, and to Odessa. Uh, Lots of concerns about what's going to happen in the next couple of days. We'll have more on that story. This is Mornings with Simi. Could you do it? If somebody said, listen, I will bet you that you couldn't possibly get off Facebook for a whole month. Do you think you'd be able to do it? Well, two mayors in BC have done exactly that. They've gone off Facebook for the entire month of February, and they said they did it to better their mental health and to find new ways of communicating with their communities. Let's find out how this all got started. Joining us now is Merlin Blackwell, mayor of Clearwater. Good morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning. And Ant Kualitsa, who's the mayor of Fernie in here in BC. Good morning, and thank you for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. Good morning. Let's start with you, Mayor Blackwell. What brought this about? Tell me the story. Well, you know, it's been a heck of a couple of years here. Um, since I started mayor, we've been basically rolling through a series of disasters, whether it be mill closures, wildfires, and now COVID. And I find, found myself constantly monitoring and reacting to especially Facebook, trying to put out fires online, um, trying to calm down conversations and that sort of thing. And, and especially during the last six or seven months of COVID, it started a real sort of anxiety and mental health um, crisis with me where I, I really was feeling constantly anxious and, 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 and it was really, really affecting how I felt. And Mayor Qualita, how about you? Was it the same? A little bit of the same. I think probably what really amplified uh, the risk of Facebook for me in the last eight months was, um, you know, our local government stepped into the pandemic um, as partners with the province. We were required to. So reading about our bylaw officers who are getting complaints about businesses that were outside of health orders in the business or the community referring to them as Gestapo. And, you know, that language just really started creeping in in the last seven or eight months. And it was hard to read and hard to see because that language was directed at our team, like our our city team, who were, quite frankly, just doing their job. Did you have, Mayor Kualitza, did you have like almost like an aha moment when you thought, why why am I doing this? Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, I, I would try to step on that language because I think it's really important and say, you know, please don't refer to our bylaw officers as Gestapo, you know, bylaw has always been complaint driven someone complained we're investigating that's the process um but the response was usually um a lot of outrage whereas i think in the beginning two years ago you could add dump some cold water on a comment or maybe provide some clarification and it worked it doesn't work anymore it's not working yeah mayor blackwell did you find that too Oh, absolutely. The same thing. I mean, things that would be innocently, innocent comments uh, two years ago, a year and a half ago, would be instantly jumped on it. And, and people were reading things into basically anything you put out there. And, and you know, it, it's, it's more about Facebook and Twitter to the same extent, a uh, certain extent. They, you, you curate your own news feed with them. You, you follow the people that you want to follow. You like or join the groups that you want to like. So you end up seeing a news feed that's, that's tailored for you. And on the flip side, the people that are getting angry with you are also doing that. 
Um, so it's no wonder we're into this situation right now where we're, we're feeling very us against, against them in the world, and, right. and it's causing, causing so much anxiety. Okay, so you decided that that's it. We're going to take this challenge. We're going to stay off of it for a month, but here we are, February the 21st. So, Mayor Qualita, how's it been? Oh, it's amazing. It's so amazing. You know, uh, uh, we, all of us, every single local government across this province, there's no shortage of work. So if your mayor is spending two or three hours a day on Facebook trying to support the community, but then that effect takes, you know, affordable housing, opiate, mental health, or like the, the portfolios that we should be leaning into um, are enormous. And, and we all are, by the way, but uh, getting off Facebook just lets you do the work that you should be doing and with no distraction. And it's been really, really good for me, my attention span and my health and um like I said, there's no shortage of work in local government, and there's some really big issues that we're all leaning into. Mayor Blackwell, how's it been for you? Oh, absolutely the same. Um, I've started reading books again. Wow. <laughs> you know, well, you know, it, 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 you know, Ange and I met a couple years ago uh, at UBCM, and we instantly declared ourselves the funniest mayors in BC and, and, and started uh, form something called the Ginger Mayor's Caucus because we're both uh, gingers, <laughs> along with people like um, uh, Josie Osborne, who's now Minnesota Affairs Minister. Um, but, you know, we were, we were really fun human beings, and we, we, we kind of felt like we were drowning in this. And, and uh, you know, getting off Facebook, I've been off uh, since, I think, uh, 27th to 28th of January now. Um, and it's fantastic. I mean, I'm probably going to have to go back because in small towns, um, we have a one, a one um, once-a-week newspaper, some local radio coverage out of the bigger cities. But really, most of community communications occur through social media and things like that. Right. So you really don't have much of a choice but to use those things. It's, it's how you use them and how much time you dedicate them. And I think the easiest thing for me, and, and Anne just took a different route than I did for this, is I took the apps off my phone. Um, so there's absolutely no temptation. Um, there's no access on my phone. Uh, and in order to, to log into anything now, I have to go to my laptop. And even then, I, I haven't had a problem with that right. either. It is, yeah. so, you're, so you're putting boundaries in place then for the future? Yes, for sure. Absolutely. We have to. I mean, as Anne said, we're wasting way too much time on this stuff. Um, I, I just wrote out for my council the list of active files I've got going here. The things that I'm advocating for and working on, I think I've got 14 open things to deal with. Uh, healthcare, um, housing, um, jobs, the Trans Mountain housing or, or pipeline project. Um, there's so many things right now, so many balls in there that I'm juggling that putting out fires and managing social media is not something I really need to be spending time with. We're also very accessible mayors. I mean, <laughs> if I want to get a jug of milk, it's a 25 minute job because <laughs> you can't get in and out of anywhere right. without three people stopping you and want to have a conversation. That's just small town life. Right. So it's not like these people can't reach it. Our citizens can't reach us. Right. They can. Okay. So Mayor Qualita, let me ask you though, what kind of limitations have you put in place? How is this going to change for you moving forward? Well, so I read this book that where I was listening to this podcast, the atomic habit and that guy uh, recommended a hard, a hard break. So I threw the, threw away the keys. Uh, my partner changed my passcode. I have no access to my, my Facebook account. He went in and changed it for me. And it's been really, really good. And I think Marlon said something that I don't think we're talking about enough. Uh, 
our sparkle and our glow in leadership two years out of a pandemic, it's, it's bruised and battered. And Facebook was definitely a big, big part of that. You know, even just watching what happened in Ottawa, um, every single time I saw the news, I just kept thinking about that Ottawa City Council and mayor and police force and first responders. And um, it's time to get our sparkle back because it's good work. Local governments do good work. And we, you really need people in office that have big personalities that can take a bruising. But if Facebook helps you, I think it's really important. And, you know, Mayor Lisa helped Scott off Facebook in 2018 for all of these reasons. They're as important as ever. And um, she just didn't want to be a part of a, a, an echo chamber. And she wanted to do the work she was elected to do and, and, and represent the entire community, not just whomever is yelling at you on Facebook. Right. So would you say both of you are sticking with this for now? I yep. definitely am. I, 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 do, I have no reason to go back. I, I mean, I'm going to extend this until March and, uh, and uh, just really keep, keep this habit up. All right, Mayor Blackwell, are you sticking with it? I'm going to stick with it um, for as long as I possibly can. And even then, I'm going to turn it into something on the, the work laptop at the office right. and, and basically limit my access. Um, in, in the same way that I would limit my office hours or how people can connect with me, there's still lots of opportunities. It's just a matter of priorities. 24 right? seven is not the way to do this. Uh, three o'clock in the morning, waking up is not the way to do this. Um, get it off your phone. So you're not waking up with it and going to bed with it. That is just ruining our lives. Well, you know what? I love to hear this. This is great. Thank you so much for talking about it this morning. Thank you. Hey, hey, thanks for having us on. And thanks for issuing a little bit of a challenge at the top of the interview to see how many other people can do it. Cause yeah. that's what I'm fascinated with is, is the community deriving news from Facebook because it's harming uh, your your colleagues as yeah. much as it is ours. And it's I, an echo chamber. It. It's a, just yeah. like you said, it's an echo chamber, right? Listen, thanks yeah. to both of you and best of luck. Okay, thank, thank you. you. We've got Bye-bye. Merlin Backweather, who's the mayor of Clearwater, and Ange Kualitza, who's the mayor of Fernie, deciding that they're just not going to use social media the same way anymore. Could you do it? Do you think you could quit cold turkey in that way? This is Mornings with Simi. Time for us to get an update on what is happening with COVID-19 elsewhere in the world. So we know that the Omicron wave seems to have crested places like Canada and the UK and even in the United States. But in other places like Hong Kong, hospitals are overwhelmed. New Zealand, too, is facing numbers that they have never seen before. So is this Omicron? Is this this Omicron sub-variant? What is going on out there? thought it was time to check in with Dr. Brian Conway, who's the medical director and infectious diseases specialist at the Vancouver Infectious Disease Centre. Good morning, Dr. Conway. Good morning, Simi. Thank you for being here. Uh, So what is it that we see happening elsewhere in the world? Is this still the effect of Omicron? Probably, or something like Omicron. So what happened in New Zealand and Hong Kong is that you had the entry of a new variant in a setting where the vaccination rates aren't quite enough where public health measures, if at all present, were minimal. And this variant transmits so quickly with a short incubation period that the testing system that was relied upon to control disease spread can no longer do it. So it's a bit the perfect storm, and that's what we're seeing in Hong Kong and New Zealand. Okay, so is that kind of what we had here? I mean, are they seeing those those number of cases? Pretty much. And I think that we're now a bit more protected. We have 10, 15 percent, maybe 20 percent higher vaccination rate, especially compared to Hong Kong. 
So we're a little bit insulated against that. But with the relaxation of all the public health recommendation and some people forgetting that vaccines remain important, we would be susceptible to invasion of Canada by a new variant that would have the similar characteristics, especially if the vaccine isn't quite effective against it. And what is it that I know there is this sub-variant that is out there? There is a sub-variant BA2 of Omicron that is kind of uh, perhaps a bit more uh, causing severe disease, probably just as contagious. And there will be more variants because the rate of vaccination in the world is nowhere near high enough to prevent the development of variants in nature. Okay, so is this one that we should be watching out for? Oh, we should. We absolutely should. People are sort of following it along. Uh, We're going to be monitoring hospitalization rates here in British Columbia because we can no longer monitor the number of cases. We're not testing in a way that will allow us to do that. Uh, But we should be worried also about the next variant and the next one after that in the context of the world. Right. Dr. Henry has talked about learning to live with this. Dr. Conway, is that what we need to do moving forward? Absolutely. And we need to be vaccinated. That's our first line of defense. We need to be a little bit aware of our surroundings. We still need to have that vaccination passport, at least in the short term. Be aware of who we're around indoors. Make sure sick people uh, are encouraged to stay home. And I think that's part of living with COVID. That's what Dr. Henry means. Are, are people starting to forget those other things, though, that you're talking about? Oh. I think, you know, you see a lot of people saying, I'm done with it, and they just want to go out. We certainly saw that this past weekend, as we heard from VPD. It was packed in the downtown core. Are you concerned when you think that people might be just letting these things go? Absolutely. I was at the Connects game on uh, Saturday night, and uh, less than half the people were wearing masks. We weren't being warned until the third period that masks were uh, were indicated. I think we're moving past masks and we're moving past the things that have protected us that are actually quite easy to do. And we need to, to get back to somewhere there that will help us live with COVID more effectively. That sounds like everybody, though, are, are, is letting their guard down. As you said, they weren't even reminding people until the third period. Absolutely. And I think, you know, maybe at at the beginning, let's give everyone a break. These newfound freedoms were largely unexpected by most experts. Uh, Everyone is is, is overjoyed. They wanted to benefit from them. Let's give them a little bit of leeway. We've been cooped up for two years. That being said, COVID is not gone and we need to remember that. Okay, so what is your advice to people? Because you know, you're right, people do want to go out and they want to have fun. And I feel like they're not perhaps not tuning in, but the news about any possible variants and concerns is just not being absorbed. Absolutely. And I think people who are not fully vaccinated, and I consider that three shots at at this time, uh, go out and get vaccinated. If you're hesitant, go ask your questions. No one will force you to be vaccinated. But I'd love to talk to you about what's going to help you understand how important vaccines are and maybe get you to yes. Especially when you're indoors, Please be aware of your surroundings. Still always carry a mask on your person. Make sure you tell people who are sick that they should probably just just stay home and pull out that mask if you feel uncomfortable. Do all the things that you're allowed to do by all means, but still be aware that COVID is around. Do you feel like maybe people thought, okay, well, I got it and we seem to be living with it or I got vaccinated and they told me that was going to be, you know, the end of it and it's still not the end of it. So people are starting to tune out. Yeah, absolutely. People are wanting to move past COVID and not even think about it. But this head in the sand approach is what is going to get us into trouble going forward. The things we are being asked to do now 
are quite reasonable and are easy to do and are very close to the pre-COVID life that we enjoyed and we'll inch towards that if we keep doing those things. I think we need to find a way to congratulate people on the hard work they've done, tell them that the job is not over but it's getting easier and easier and it's continuing to do this job that will get you to normal. We'll see. All right, Dr. Conway, thank you. Thanks again. As Dr. Brian Conway, Medical Director and Infectious Diseases Specialist at the Vancouver Infectious Disease Centre. Interesting, he said he was at the Canucks game on Saturday night and, you know, half, what did you say, half, more than half of people were not masking and there was no warning until the third period that, hey, everybody, you're still supposed to be wearing your masks. Now, that was pretty much the experience that I had in, in observing things on the weekend. Places were packed, restaurants, bars, nightclubs. Uh, I heard from a number of people who said, yeah, they were out and about and it did feel like, you know, everybody just forgot all about the other restrictions that are still supposed to be in place. For instance, the, the mask restriction, of asking for proof of vaccination if you do go in and sit down to eat somewhere. What was your experience if you were out and about this past weekend? Was it just everything right back to normal? Because I think we see some cases of, of that certainly being the case. Or were the other rules still being followed? Were people still masking? Were they still asking for the vaccination card? Let me know what you saw out there. Simi at cknw.com or you can call our buzz line 604-331-2899. This is Mornings with Simi. One of the questions that we've talked a lot about the last couple of years is how to make sure that we have enough healthcare professionals in this province. More need to be trained. Well, the provincial government says they are going to be funding more than 600 new student nursing spots at public post-secondary institutions. This is a pre-budget spending announcement. The budget is coming this week. Let's talk about how this is going to happen and where. Joining us now is Ravi Kalon, Minister of Jobs, Economic Recovery and Innovation. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Simi. Thank you for having me. So where are these spots going to be? Well, uh, first off, you laid out the the challenge that we have ahead of us. Uh, You know, two weeks ago, we had the Labour Market Outlook Report which projected that we're going to ex- we can expect a million new job openings over the next 10 years here in British Columbia, and our care economy is going to lead the way. So that means nurses, uh, uh, early childhood educators, uh, folks who will take care of our loved ones in care homes. And, and so the announcement we made uh, with Minister Dix yesterday was 602 new spots, and the spots are split all over the province, uh, UVic, UBC, um, uh, University of Fraser Valley, Selkirk College, uh, and, a, and a whole host of others, because we know that in order to meet the demand that we have, which is going to be huge for both retirement and potentially new job openings, uh, we're going to have to train a lot of people. And uh, that has been the number one uh, challenge identified by everyone that we've consulted with. And, and 602 is, is a really good start. So when will this kick in? How quickly is this going to happen? Well, we've provided the dollars already now, so the universities should be starting up the programs, I believe, this fall. Uh, on top of that, we also provided uh, $475,000 to be able to train more uh, and bring on more trainers on, on board because we know you know you can create the spots, but you still need people teaching the courses. So we've provided that, the support for that as well. And, and last year, um, Minister Dix announced uh, expansion of actual um, built environment as well. So we've been doing it methodically. First, we built the space. Now we're building the uh, uh, capacity with the professors and 
uh, more spots for teachers. There's been a lot of discussion as well. Okay, so that's nurses, but what about doctors? We need more family doctors. How do we train more family doctors? Well, no doubt about it. Um, the whole healthcare system has pressure. So um, Minister Dix uh, laid out, uh, you know, how we're going to expand nurses, but he also laid out uh, that we're really focused on team-based care. Uh, we've got urgent primary care clinics that have opened up uh, all over BC. I know there's a couple in my region, uh, and they've got nurse practitioners taking on a lot of the work that uh, the, the hospital system would normally have to take or doctors would have to take. And it's a great opportunity for people who don't have doctors to be attached to a healthcare center. So that's the model we're going. Uh, of course, we're going to need to train more doctors, uh, but that's more to come in, in the coming uh, months ahead. So is this an ongoing issue then the government has to recognize that we need to do things a little bit differently to get more people into the system? Uh, no doubt about it. And uh, and that's why the Premier has made the number one issue uh, with all the Premiers uh, with the federal government is the health transfers. Because we know that every province is feeling the, the pressure of the healthcare system. We have a, a population that's aging, many are close to retirement, and there's going to be a lot of financial pressure on everyone's uh, health budgets. And so not only do we need to train people and make sure that our healthcare system continues to be top-notch, but we also need support from the federal government to be able to do this. Uh, right now, the, the, the transfers are not enough to continue to invest in the healthcare that we need. What about recruiting from other areas? Like we, we've often talked about this for years, is that we probably have people here who could do these jobs, but we need to get their skills up to date. Yeah, so we uh, last year, uh, and, and still ongoing, uh, announced money for micro-credentials to be able to give people quick training to take those opportunities. But it's also, I think, as you've highlighted, uh, there are people that have come here from other jurisdictions, other parts of Canada, or even other parts of the world, who are, are trained, have a skill set to take on this work, uh, but often find it difficult to uh, to get in for, for many reasons. And so that is another piece of uh, uh, addressing challenges in our healthcare system that we're working on. And I know Minister Dix will have more to say on that uh, in, the, in the coming months. Okay, so then is this a bit of a preview, Minister, of what we're going to be seeing in the budget? Is there a big focus on the healthcare system in the budget? Uh, there has to be, uh, <laughs> given that we're uh, still, you know, just coming out of a pandemic and and I think the biggest thing that we've discovered uh, throughout the pandemic, and of course many have already known, is that you cannot separate the, what you consider social and economic. The two are interlinked. And that's the key highlight of our economic plan we announced uh, last week as well, which is when you make investments in healthcare, when you make investments in childcare, when you make investments in housing, that is actually helping the economy grow and in, in ensuring that people have the opportunity to participate in the economy. And so that will be a, a key focus that you'll see in the, in the budget tomorrow. All right, we'll see what happens. Thank you for your time. Okay, thank you for having me. Stay safe. That's Ravi Kailan, who's the Minister of Jobs, Economic Recovery and Innovation, talking about the pre-budget announcement from the provincial government that they are going to be funding more than 600 new student nursing spots at public post-secondary institutions. So that's... That's a lot of new spots, which is good. So there's UBC's Vancouver and Okanagan campuses and Thompson Rivers University. They are already accepting more students um, in the last year for some of these nursing positions. 17 schools in total will begin expanding intake in the next year and a half. Now that is according to the Ministry of Health. So that is 600 plus new nursing students 
Now, there have been staffing shortages we know of all throughout the healthcare sector. You've got nurses who are retiring, nurses who are moving elsewhere. Is this going to be enough? And what about doctors? right? That's another huge issue. What about getting more family doctors in general just into the system? I know a lot of people have been having trouble getting one of those too. So challenges, all things we're going to be watching for when the budget comes down this week. And of course, we'll be breaking it all down for you. Keep tuned in right here for the very latest.